Good to be with all of you this morning. We had a baptism last night. Uh, we had a how old is an eight-year-old, twenty-something, and an eighty-something. Eight, well, we're not supposed to tell you know age when it's an eighty-something. She's pretty proud of it. Okay, cool. Anyway, very exciting. It was very, very special. Holy Spirit was really, really present with us. My name is Randy. Uh, for a number of months, we have been working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And um, in this letter, the Apostle Paul is, is primarily engaging his readers on, on a primary topic and then just sort of going all around that topic and coming at it from this way and this way. And how about you look at it from this side and this side. And that topic is how do we live life pleasing to God? How do we live life pleasing to God? In an earlier visit to this region there, Paul had presented the good news about God's love for the people, uh, presented Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the means by which that they could experience and live life pleasing to God. And things were going great. Paul was excited about what was happening. He was thrilled, but then he had to move on to other places, uh, other locations to share the good news of Jesus. And soon after he left, um, some Jewish Christians came into the area and they began to share with these new Christians who had just come to know God in this way and know Jesus that, yes, what Paul said was right, but... If you really want to live a life pleasing to God, then you're going to need to become a Jew. And you're going to need to live according to the Mosaic law. Now, while none of us are concerned very much, I suspect, about the need to become a Jew, I don't know of anyone here that has considered that, we do struggle, even if we're not really fully aware of it, we struggle with the role of the Mosaic law. And the rest of the Bible, for that matter. Because like the Galatians, having learned about God's love for us and understanding what Jesus did, there there is significantly a draw to want to live life pleasing to God. Besides coming to church and hearing it every Sunday, probably, right? And as we've said in previous weeks, because we don't exactly know how to do that or what that's really supposed to look like. You know, the idea of having some rules and regulations about how to do this can be a little comforting. Now, on the other hand, if we've heard, if that's all we've ever heard is the rules and regs, then we're ready to reject that and tell me about something else, if there is something else. But in the setting where we are really wrestling with, how do I live life as a Christian, a follower of Jesus? How do I live pleasing to God? And, and so as we hear these ideas about rules and regs, we think, well, you know what? That, that makes sense. I mean, isn't that how we're supposed to live? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Do's and don'ts. Well, no, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> and this morning we're going to move into chapter 5 of Galatians. And I'm, I'm hoping um, to be able to share with you a theme, a, a new theme at some level that Paul introduces here. Um, that will help us to better understand how to do that, how to live life for God and pleasing to him. Before we head there, let's pray. 
Papa, I am I'm just stirred um, by Kevin's encouragement to us that we have been created for relationship. And the topic that Paul is going to introduce here is, is going to be an awkward one for us because it's about relationship with you. And genuinely, the idea of a human being in physical time and space with a body, it's a little awkward to know how do we relate to you, an unbodied spirit, power, and love. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here and that you are changing the atmosphere here. That you're helping me to know you better and I I just welcome you to teach today and to lead and guide us into more uh, in a more clear understanding of of what it means to live life for you in Jesus name. So what does Paul say in these first verses from chapter 5 of Galatians on this topic of how do we live our life pleasing to God? going to read through this uh, material. I've done, uh, really, I've done a lot of work on this passage for months now at some level in my both my devotional time as well as in uh, study time. Uh, came yesterday to put it all together and, and had a really hard time, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But some of the ways that I have um, rephrased this text Will, will look a little different if you pulled out your NIV or your New Standard or your NLT or something of that nature. Because I did a lot of work uh, in, the, in the language of the material. So follow me with this. And, and just as a reference point, you have this little sheet, cheat sheet to go take home, home with you. Um, that PT down there, that's, new inter- that's not New International. Uh, that's not uh, New Living. It's not uh, um, Message. It's Personal Translation. PT, according to Randy. <laughs> Sorry. I learned that from a, a, a great teacher whose name is Dallas Willard. He just doesn't put anything at the end when he reworks the text as he understands it. But anyway, all right, let's go. The Galatians 5, I'm just going to read it. You can follow along. That might be easier for some of you. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free to truly live. So take your stand. Don't ever let anyone put a harness of slavery on you, nor put it on yourself. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, you're now obligated to keeping it all. And I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision and what you can do on your own trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you live merely out of your desire through your own human effort, you've eliminated grace. For it is by faith through the Spirit that we eagerly expect to experience righteousness and being like Jesus. When you are in Christ, neither your human efforts to do good or of doing bad count for anything. The only thing that counts 
is that which is done by faith at work through love. Let's think about the Galatians again for a minute. They had been introduced by Paul to God's love. They had been introduced to the work of salvation through Christ's death and resurrection as a complete exchange and provision for the payment for their sins and a doorway into relationship with God. That is awesome. That was incredible. And then came along these Judaizers, as they were called, who said, yeah, that's good, uh, but you also need to keep all these rules and regs. And these brand new Christians, okay, if that's what you say we got to do. I mean, Paul was good and you must know Paul or you wouldn't be here. And they just, they didn't know any better. Sounds right. Paul hears about this and is tremendously upset, cannot quickly jump in his car and drive over there, nor a ship, nor a horse. He's a ways away and commuting wasn't uh, as easy then as it is now. So he writes a letter. And he is really distressed in this letter. Uh, The language throughout is just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're thinking this way. Kind of like we feel with our kids sometimes, you know, when they get into those teen years and they start investigating life and choosing, making choices. What in the world were they thinking? They weren't thinking. That's the problem. Not my kids nor yours, but those out there that, you know, do that stuff. So Paul hears about this. He goes, what? Don't you know that if you go down this path, this path of rules and regs, that you're rejecting grace? You're rejecting the free gift of provision of God of having paid the penalty for your sins and now you're going to try and pay your own penalty? What? That's ludicrous. You're going to try and do that through your own human effort? And as I wrestle with this, I realize, you know, we can do that same thing. After hearing the good news of salvation in Christ, we, we find ourselves and we find leaders and teachers who, who, who want to lead us down the path of keeping rules and regulations, a rules-oriented system based on our own human effort. What I can do. I mean, that's all I've got available, right, is what I can do. So what's the answer? Is there an alternative other than human effort if we want to live a life that's pleasing to God? And here's what Paul says. It is by faith through the Spirit that we eagerly expect to experience righteousness and being like Jesus. For when you are in Christ, neither your human efforts to do good or of doing bad count for anything. The only thing that counts is that which is done by faith at work through love. Now, while Paul does not use the term here, 
What he means by this phrase human effort is what he later calls in this very chapter the flesh. And he is, in a sense, identifying two very clear opposing approaches to living a life that's pleasing to God. Throughout the whole letter, he's been doing that. But here he's going to get a little bit beyond just the problem to now, how are we to live? And, and one approach to living a life that's pleasing to God is by desire, our own desires, and through the flesh. And the opposition that he has stated here, the opposing is by faith through the Spirit. Now hang with me, I'm going to kind of walk us out this, because in and of itself, um, those things don't, that doesn't really ring, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, the word by, pause, by, B-Y, it has a very interesting meaning. And it isn't, and, and we don't think of it in our own English languages or in other, when we're learning other languages, the word by, what, what does the word by mean? It doesn't mean to buy candy or something. This is the other by. And, and it means as an outcome of or as a result of. As an outcome of or result of. The word through that is kind of like it but different means through the power of or the energy of. So let me... Let's pull these statements together and let me include these explicatives. That's a good word. I, I looked it up to make sure that it was a legal word to use there. So here's, here's how this might sound. Next screen. You can choose to live a life that is pleasing to God by, as an outcome or a result of desire, through the power or energy of the flesh, or you can choose to live a life that is pleasing to God as an outcome or as a result of faith through the power or energy of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to clarify these distinctions, we're going to need to come up with some some definitions or clarifications for these four words that are used here. Desire, flesh, faith, and spirit. And there's another word that Paul introduces at the end of the chapter, which is love, in that last verse. So a little later uh, in this chapter, um, in material that I'm going to actually teach from on the first Sunday of January, Paul uses three of these words as an introduction to that new section. And he says this, Walk by the Spirit... And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So he is, he's creating a distinction here. There's something about the Spirit and something about desires and flesh that are opposing. I'll, I'm going to talk more about it actually in January. Romans says some very cool things about this material as well. But for today... So the first word I want to kind of uh, wrangle with here is the word flesh. Uh, In the Christian community, predominantly when people teach about or use the word or speak about the flesh, they 
they are referring to the flesh as fallen or sinful human nature. In which case, flesh is bad. It's the sinful nature. It's the, it is the, uh, the, that which is fallen and needs redeemed. However, Dallas Willard, one of my uh, heroes and teachers, has um, in his work identified um, that that definition is, is inappropriate and inaccurate. And he suggests that the word flesh can more accurately be described as what a person can do through their own natural human abilities. What a person can do through their own natural human abilities. The flesh, he suggests, is not necessarily bad. The flesh, sarks, is the word, means body. And historically, throughout the the millenniums, people have at times said, the flesh is bad. And so monasticism will punish the flesh. Or we minimize the flesh. Or we say that Jesus, one of the heresies was Jesus didn't come in the flesh because flesh is bad. Willard's work suggests that the, the body is not bad all by itself. God created the body and he said, look, it's good. It's a good creation of God. But it needs to be kept in its proper function in life under God. And the trouble is, is that when flesh is allowed to do what it wants to do, when flesh is allowed to fulfill its desires without God, then there comes problems. And in this chapter 5, he is going to talk about some of those problems, as you can read and be familiar with. So the flesh is what a person can do through their own natural human abilities. Now desire, I think we better understand that word. Desire means the impulse toward possession or the experience of an object. Um, I desire to pick up uh, my Bible. I have laid hold of my desire. I uh, last night was at a party, and uh, there was a lot of food there. And I'm I'm attempting to walk out the journey right now of being gluten free. And there was a lot of gluten on the table, uh, including one of my favorites being pumpkin pie. So I I, I struggled with my desire. And the impulse to have pumpkin pie. I had to wrestle with my desire. Because I really wanted pumpkin pie. I even talked to Joy about it. Do you think maybe if I just kind of cut off some of the stuff on the top and don't get near the the gluten that I'd be okay? Or do you think maybe the gluten has cooked through somehow and it's going to kill me or something? So... I, I, I wrestled with that desire and, and, I, and I came to terms with, you know what, I can desire a secondary thing that's on this table. And the secondary thing that was there were cut up apples. There's no gluten in apples, at least not that I'm aware of. And caramel. Caramel and apples and dip. Do you know how many I had pieces of <laughs> apples with caramel to make up for my lack of pumpkin pie? We're not gonna, I'm not even going to tell you how many I had. I went outside three times and I had them with me every time I went outside. I think we understand what desire is all about. And in January, I'm going to get a little bit more nitty-gritty about um, 
flesh and desire and some of these other aspects. But for this morning, um, so desire, you know, that I desire to turn this light off, that that I desire to sleep in, that I desire to, um, you know, drive my car at the speed limit rather than not and have people honk at me because I'm doing 55, you know, or whatever. Um, we, do, we, we express our human desires all the time. We're also expressing our flesh all the time. We're all the time, we're living out of doing what I can do. That's, I mean, isn't that all we have, is what I can do? That's what we think. The, the problem with desire, as we've already said, though, is that obsessive desire, or what the Bible calls lust, is the natural and inevitable outcome of desire that has run wild. Desire of this kind, typically in the lives of human beings, will sacrifice what is good, even for themselves and particularly for others, to get what it wants. And there is within this the human being a brokenness related to desire that has produced in humanity this tremendous drive for gratification. And it is, in essence, the heart of sin. We usually don't sin for someone else. I mean, we might buy drugs and sell them to someone else, but that's really for us because we make all that money. Or any other kinds of illustrations we could use. Typically, sin is based on self-gratification. It's doing what I want to do when I want it. And that aspect of desire was loosed in the Garden of Eden in the temptation. And we have lived out that pressure and aspect of desire ever since. In contrast to flesh and desire, Paul is going to now, and Paul talks about spirit and faith. Spirit, I think we again kind of, all right, that, that means the Holy Spirit. But interestingly, on occasion... In the New Testament, spirit means the human spirit that has been enlivened through Christ, made alive through Christ. And so we have to you know, pay a little attention. Is it possible that the author and Paul in this case is speaking of the human spirit enlivened by the Holy Spirit, not just this outside effort or person of the Holy Spirit? Anyway, it might be a little confusing, but we'll try and work through it. So, while the flesh is driven or even consumed by desire, the human spirit or the Holy Spirit seek love. When the, human, when the Spirit of God leads the human person, or even when the enlivened human spirit made alive in Christ, it doesn't seek, as the flesh does, what I want, but seeks for what is best looking for the good of others. And the word for that is love. Love and desire are these two sort of mechanisms of the spirit and of the flesh. Very often in our society, people speak of love when they really are expressing what they're expressing is desire or love. Excuse me, desire or lust, excuse me, not love, the opposite. So a young man in his late teens can 
see a girl walk by and say, wow, I'm in love. And they are not. They are in lust. Right? Let's be truthful here. I know girls don't have this problem, so I'm talking to all the guys. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Okay. So, last night, I was sitting there looking at that pumpkin pie. And I love pumpkin pie. I just love pumpkin pie. But no, I really don't. I really don't desire the good of that pumpkin pie. I really don't care a hoot about what's best for that pumpkin pie. I want to eat it. I desire pumpkin pie. But I love my wife, and I love my children, I love my grandchildren, and I love you because I want your very, very best. I don't always get that accomplished, and sometimes I hurt my wife, or I hurt my children, I hurt my grandchildren, I hurt you. And I'm sorry. I don't want it to be that way. I want to be a man who loves, who looks out for the good and the interests of others. The trouble is, I'm human, just like you. And occasionally... I live my life according to the way I want and not what's always best. And that's what is the problem here that Paul is talking about. Fourth word. Faith is defined by the writer of Hebrews, perhaps in the most clear fashion, is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. So, unlike desire, that is really connected to seeing and knowing, I know what pumpkin pie tastes like, and when I see it, I know what it tastes like, and desire is all wrapped up in seeing, visual, tastes, all wrapped up in our physiological... Guess what? It's wrapped up in our body. Desire is wrapped up in our sarks. Faith, though, is that is an aspect of something like that, but it is now unseen. It's not based on what is known or seen, but rather on the truth and the trustworthiness of God and what God has said. But faith goes beyond hope or even belief. Because faith requires action to truly be faith. You can say you believe something is true, but honestly, we don't really know that you believe it's true until you act on it. So I could say, I believe that if I step off this, that I'm not going to go down and I'm going to walk on air. I believe that. I believe I can do that. So I'm going to go on and teach because I believe that and so it doesn't really matter. And I'm going to tell you I believe that. When I was a kid, we had a swimming pool growing up. And I tell you, I tried walking on water a lot. And I even pretended there was this long step in my parents' uh, pool as you, as you got down. And I would I'd walk down the step, which you know, made the water level you know, about halfway up my calf. I'm walking on water until the end of the step came. And then I was down underneath because it was about six feet deep down there. So I couldn't walk on water, and I can't walk on air either. 
So I don't really believe that. But that's the only way you can know if somebody's operating by faith or is simply telling you that they believe. Faith is an action. And it's an action that incorporates our whole being, our mind, our heart, our body. And it's our heart and body, and our, sorry, that is our, our heart and mind believe something. We so believe it to be true, we have assurance and conviction that what God has said, that our body, flesh, our mind, our emotions, we take action upon that truth. And that's a rough one. This, this word for faith, which is in contrast to desire, is a little bit awkward. But again, I think we can wrestle with and lay hold of, and this is the heart kind of what we're going to do, and then I'm going to take us to some application. Desire we get, right? We can walk out of here. You know what I'm talking about when desire. Desire has to do with our heart, our mind, our emotions. It has to do with the belief. It has to do with our whole being, and it involves our body. Desire has its end result is to take hold of, lay hold of that which it desires. Faith is like that, but it is now of our spirit. And it is related to what God has said, not what I want. It's related to what is best for others, not what I think is best for me. So, Having defined those words, I want to return to the passage. I want to read it again, and then we're going to walk out something a little more. Let's try and apply those four words now and think through this text. So starting at around verse 4, I'm going to read it again. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision and what you can do on your own trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. I suspect you would never intend this, but that's what happens. When you live merely out of your desire, through your own human effort, you have eliminated grace. For it is by faith, through the Spirit, that we eagerly expect to experience righteousness, living a life that's pleasing to God, and being like Jesus. When you are in Christ, neither your human efforts to do good or of doing bad count for anything. Nada. The only thing that counts is that which is done by faith at work through love. So we can choose to live a life that's pleasing to God by, as an outcome or result of our desire to live that life. I want that. That's a good thing. But I choose, and the only thing I know to do, is to do that through the power or energy of what I can do. But Paul says that, is fruitless. It is worthless. Now, that's fairly stark. Because what that's saying is human effort at loving God on its own, by itself, is worthless. 
the only thing that counts is faith at work, because faith means work, through love. Rule regulations are about my desire to follow the rules. It's about my effort to be able to keep the rules. Faith at work through love is a confident assurance that God has said that love is best. I am going to trust and take action that is not around my desire, what I think is best for me, but is around the faith of what God would want me to do. And it's empowered, it's infused, it's enlivened not by my action alone, but is accompanied by the power of God, the empowering presence of God, the life of God, Through his action, my action and his action come together and ignite in faith works. Works of faith. We talk in the church about works. Human effort, human works. Doesn't count. Interestingly enough, the New Testament talks about faith works. Faith actions. By faith, Moses, not Moses, excuse me, Abraham took his son Isaac up to the mountain. God had said, go to the mountain, take some wood, take a knife, and kill your son. Offer him as a human sacrifice on this mountain. So Abraham, by faith, the New Testament tells us, took Isaac there, even though he knew had been told by God that Isaac was the promise and it was going to be through Isaac that more generations were going to come. It's crazy. He didn't do that by his personal desire. He was not doing that in his own flesh, although his flesh had to walk it out. And as he lifted the knife, God rewarded Faith provided an alternative and two lives were forever changed. And the world has been forever changed by faith action. Actions of faith. By faith, Moses lifted his rod over a torrential sea with an army behind the Israelites because God said, raise your staff. How foolish is that? Okay, I'll raise my staff. Whoosh! What was that? That was faith works. Why did God ask him to raise the staff? Why didn't God just say, stand back? Why did God not just do it? Why Moses, raise your staff? Why Jesus... Reach out your hand. Why take mud? Go down to the water and and wash. Two different stories. Old Testament, New Testament. I'm going off notes, by the way. Some people go off roading. I'm going off notes this morning. I didn't know how to do this material. And so I have three or four pages that, that weren't right, Kevin. I, I just, you know, we have only so much time. I, 
I, I know I cannot adequately help us to grasp this. But I'm going to give you some more illustrations. I'm going to pull one in from my own heart and life right now. So yesterday, all through this last couple of months, I, I teach about every, usually every three weeks, four weeks, two weeks, varying. And uh, I, I work full time like all the rest, most of the rest of us. And um, for me, evenings, uh, my life's just a little complicated with living in two different cities and all that kind of stuff. But so I, I don't have as much time to prepare as when I was full time with the church years ago for a dozen and a half years ish or a dozen years um, to be able to prepare. But I was really excited about this material. I really I felt like God was teaching me about it for months now. We've been working on this idea, this this thing about faith and, and the Holy Spirit. And yesterday I got I got actually Friday night um, I, I I began to sort of start trying to put it together, and I had two or three hours I worked then. Then I had Saturday. It, it wasn't until about one o'clock yesterday afternoon that I had finished my opening page. It just was really hard. And I, I got up on numerous occasions throughout the day, and then, then we had an event. They had the baptism last night. I came back home. And I really felt like, as much as I didn't want it to be true, I felt like I was, I was alone doing this preparation. I really felt like I was having to work out of my desire for there to be a nice, good talk that's helpful that, that God would, would use to help you. And, and honestly, you know, I felt like all I had was my own human effort at work. I mean, over my devotional time, I can read to you from my journals, and I brought them up here thinking maybe that's what he would have me do, but it's not, of encounters with God about this. So this morning I wake I went to bed at one in the morning. I was discouraged. I'd done the PowerPoint, done little handout notes and stuff like that. And um, I get up this whole this morning and the Holy Spirit starts talking to me, talking to me. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's really helpful. I wondered where you were yesterday. But anyway. And he said, essentially, what I understood was he, he pulled back yesterday to see me wrestle with how to do this sermon. How to not live according to out of my desire and, and, and my power to do it in my own human effort. How was I going to live out the writing of this sermon by faith through the Holy Spirit? And it didn't go so well, real honestly. And then he said to me, but I'll be with you this morning. All right, I am going to do one more personal story. We have some material that a number of us are using for some um, formation and, and transformation, some work in our lives, uh, some notebooks and some small groups and clusters and things. And it has numerous lessons that sort of introduce you to themes from the scriptures, themes about uh, personal growth. And um, One of those chapters, lessons, was on the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the chapter, there's, this, there's a number of questions and talking about the Christian theology for, of the Trinity and how does that work and how do you relate to it. 
one of the questions was sort of like, well, how, how much do you relate to the Father? How much do you relate to the Son? And how much do you relate to the Holy Spirit? And uh, I had a, a wonderful relationship with my dad. There were some difficulties. Every son and father, I'm sure, struggle at some level. And there, my teenage years, I was, you know, a, a weirdo like we often are, not always are, but often are. And so uh, there were some troubles there. And um, But genuinely ended. My father passed away a dozen, uh, two dozen, I don't know how long ago. But anyway, we ended really, really well. We had a great last 20 years of our relationship. And uh, so I relate to Papa really well. I had a really hard time calling God Father. I, didn't, I called my dad Dad. I had a hard time calling God Dad because my dad's dad. So God's not Dad. Somewhere in the last decade, I had landed on Papa, and, and it has grown to become a tremendously affectionate relational term for God the Father. And, and I, when I did this lesson a few months ago, I found that what I was, uh, that I probably relate to Papa about 60% of the time. And, and, and maybe I relate to Jesus something like 25 and the Holy Spirit only 15, which is a little odd because we're a vineyard and we're charismatics at, at some level theologically or, or experientially, maybe more than theologically. And um, I was introduced to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I had significant power encounters with the Holy Spirit throughout my life since since having gotten involved in the vineyard and yet in the chapter and in the lessons I had to say you know I I don't relate to the Holy Spirit very much I don't really know I know of him just like I knew of God I knew I know about him I could write it all out. I can find the scriptures and show you these wonderful things. And I know that we're supposed to receive power and, and all that. I know he lives in me, but it's really a miss. So I just, I've been working on that. So in my journaling now, instead of just praying to God, oh, here's something else. When I, when I talk about God, God's sort of distant, I found. When I use that term, when I talk about God, God's sort of this third person thing. You know, God out there. But when I talk about Papa, Papa's here. Jesus wasn't really, I don't know what to do with Jesus. I have troubles with my oldest brother, I guess. I don't know. And uh, I love my oldest brother, but he's a unique man. And uh, we have a unique relationship. Okay, so then, um, Holy Spirit, yeah, I don't know. So this week. This week, I'm in John 20. It's the text of the crucifixion. It's the text of the resurrection. It's the text of Mary going to the tomb and the disciples running and then encounters in the upper room after that, all these kind of things. Very wonderful. Every day was just this incredible journey each day of relationship with God. And um, I found myself on the day that I was reading about Mary Magdalene and, and her visitation with Jesus and all. Um, and I, I, I just, I was led by, by God. I was led by the Holy Spirit uh, to imagine being there with Mary and Jesus when she is seeing him after the, the first time at the resurrection. And he says to her, don't cling to me. Uh, interesting word. Can you imagine what Mary was doing? Stand up. I won't do it completely, but I mean, what was Mary doing having seen the dead Jesus erased? 
She was not, it's nice to see you, Jesus. She's clinging to him. Don't you ever leave me. Don't you ever let go of me again. Wait a minute. Mary, Mary, you've got to let go of me. I haven't yet ascended. Clara is my wife, yes. In case there's a guest here that wouldn't know that. I, would, I wouldn't do that with my daughters, but I just did. Then anyway, I might do that with Kevin. I, the guy I could probably do that with. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. Way too much here. I'm, I'm, this is wandering. I'm off-road. Um, that's the trouble with going off notes. So, uh, in the text, Mary leaves. And I found myself, in my imagination, standing, looking at the scene outside the tomb trees green little meadow sort of kind of small little meadow with trees around and I saw a bench stone some kind of stone bench actually in my mind it was made out of concrete and I I thought wait a minute they didn't have concrete (laughs) but they had stone anyway so I'm just being honest with you this stuff's hard for me but so I'm there and I'm, I'm led into imagining that I'm there with Jesus, but I can't see Jesus. All I see is this open meadow. And I, I said, why can't I see you, Jesus? I didn't hear anything. But I, I, I was led somehow, or my picture changed by my choice or what, I don't exactly know, that I, my perspective is now I'm sitting on the bench. I was outside the circle. I was looking in. And I wasn't able to see. But I, I sat down on the... I found myself sitting on the bench. And I could see and feel Jesus next to me. He had robes and his shoulder is pressed against mine. And I can feel that. His hands are in his lap next to me. And I can see the holes in his wrists. Hands, whichever way you want to look at it. And we had a conversation. And it was probably the most profound encounter with Jesus that I've ever had. But one of the things he said was, he said, I'm going away. You're not going to have me to see. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, who I also don't know very well. But I don't have a picture of the Holy Spirit. How do you picture the Holy Spirit? You know, the thing that I've wrestled with the Holy Spirit, you know, is the idea Jesus parallels him to wind. We can't see wind. You can turn on a fan. The fan is not on. But we can't see the wind, but we can see the effect of the wind, Jesus says. That that makes sense. I get that. I can see the effect of the Holy Spirit on you a lot, Kevin. And on, on you, Allison. Many of you, the effect, the, the outcome of the Holy Spirit. But in that moment, the, the little meadow became hazy. Jesus was gone, and there was a haze, a, a, a light and water moisture. You know how it, moisture will catch sunlight, and it becomes visible? Water in the air, which isn't visible, can become visible because light. And 
I was able to see the Holy Spirit. But then it changed, and the, the cloud was gone, but there was this change in the atmosphere from your song around me. And I've carried that with me ever since. And I now have a picture or a sense or something that I as a human being in my flesh and in my desires can see and can experience. And I really, I tried pulling that up yesterday, if you can imagine, (laughs) without a whole lot of success, but it's been present with me all morning. The Holy Spirit's always with us. God's always with us. So here's, here's the closing. Maybe the, uh, yeah, let's have the band come up. I need to close, so whether I'm ready or not. Ready or not, here we come. The, the, the crux of this contrast that Paul is making here, the bottom one is about relationship with God. Faith comes in response to a relationship with God and through the Spirit involves a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Christian life cannot be lived alone. You were not created to have a desire to love God and to do deeds that express love for God on your own. That song we sang really touched me because this this whole thing about action, about life, the Christian life is not lived alone. We cannot do it in our own energy. Anything simply done totally on or by ourselves is worthless. It doesn't get the job done. What's needed is my action filled and empowered with the empowerment of God to live life. That's the only way I'm going to be good, really good, or not sin, or love. I cannot do those things consistently well on my own. None of us can. This thing about following Jesus is about following Jesus. It's not about coming to church and reading your Bible and praying when you're driving down the road. We, we have such an individualistic mentality from our society that drives us to, to do everything we do the way that I can do it and the way I want it. We live a flesh, desire-driven life. 99% of the time, every day, when we get in our cars and we go to work, we do what we do there because we have skill and we know how to do it and we're going to do it. But what if you're making a few mistakes here and there like I am and my boss is really ticked. I've worked there for a year and a half and every time a mistake pops up, it's like it's going to be the end of the world and it hasn't yet been. Every time there's a fix to it. I'm an HR manager in accounting. There's always a repair. You just change it. You redo it. I'm sorry it happened. But the reality is I cannot do that job alone. I went in there really cocky. I can do this job. This is awesome. I had the skill. This, I've done all this. This is awesome. This is great. And then 
failure after failure after failure. And wonderful times of success and success and success. Because I can't do it. There is nothing I can do. I can't stand up here in front of you. I can't read these notes. I can't invite you guys can start to play. I'll, I'll wrap. I'll wrap. If we get that going, I'll wrap. I don't know what you're going to sing. It's up to you. I don't know. But this morning, we've been talking about having a relationship with God that empowers us to live life that pleases Him and loves others. Bottom line. And the only way we can do that is to have a relationship with God. A personal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have that in a way that's tangible, in a way that somehow enables you to join with it, then you need more of it. You need more of Him. Whichever Him it is that you want to pick. They're one. Lord, I was wrestling with this. The Father said, they're one God, but there are three persons. And there's three persons because we can relate to each one differently. And one time I heard him say to me, uh, I was asking about this issue of seeing. And he said, one of the reasons that I came in the flesh as the son was to be able to help you initiate relationship with me by picturing a man. Picturing a man on a cross. Picturing a man on a, in a boat. Walking on a beach. We can get there. But Papa and the Holy Spirit, that takes a whole lot more faith. Faith. Oh yeah, faith. I've got a lot of desire. And I've got a lot of human effort. But what I need is a lot more faith and a lot more through the Holy Spirit. They're going to sing the last song. The call is for come here. I can't. I don't. I don't know what it is, Claire. I, I've been off road now. I'm lost in the weeds. This call is for all of us. It's not for just a few to stand over there and pray for you. So, if you want more relationship with Father God, with Jesus, Holy Spirit, stand up. Any way that you can picture him, Father God or Jesus or Holy Spirit, then picture him now. Just close your eyes, put your hand out to him, and say this, I need you. I want you. I need more of you. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing life in my own strength. I'm really exhausted. I'm burnt out. I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I've done a lot of it on my own. I'm sorry. Would you help me now? Would you fill me with you? And I'll just do this worship song. This worship song is this prayer that you're offering to him right now. who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He destined you for adoption as a son, as a daughter through Jesus Christ. 
in whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished upon you. In him you were also chosen in order that you who put your hope in Christ might exist for the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who, like you, are God's very own to the praise of His glory. You have been chosen and destined. You have been adopted. You are a son and a daughter of God. And He longs to fill you with the fullness and the lavish upon you His empowering presence, His grace, His love that is without end. There is nothing in all of earth or heaven that can hinder you from receiving and welcoming and embracing the love of God but you. Embrace His love. Embrace Him. By faith, step into your destiny, your calling, your place and provision on this planet, in your family, in your work. You have been created as an ambassador to the world that so desperately needs to know this God that we have come to know. If you find yourself this morning with with any hindrance, any sense of something here, I would really welcome you to to come over and let someone pray with you. If our leaders and our personal prayer team folks could move to the wall over there and be available, some of you are stuck. You've heard these words before, you've heard things like this, but you're stuck. God wants to set you free to know Him, to love Him, to walk out a life that is fully pleasing to Him. You've been trying too long to do it on your own. It's time now to let Him in and let Him do it for you and with you. Thanks for coming. If you'd like prayer, we'll have folks over there. Um, If not, we look forward to seeing Grady Sunday today. Grady's is a restaurant right across the street. You're welcome to uh, head over there. People will be there to kind of eat lunch, talk, get acquainted and hang out together. Thanks for coming. Look forward to seeing you again next week. Have a great week.